0: All right, wow, this is awesome. This is truly awesome to be here in front of you today. It really is a privilege. And I, I don't think I could start without first thanking you all as a church body for having me here and for pouring life, words of life, into me. And I want to thank, in particular, a group of people that without whom Today, this moment would not be possible. And certainly, Mark Fessmeyer, Kirsten, and Brian Donahue, Kenny Longo, and Adam Rank have really come alongside me and and helped me to come to this point and share a word with you today. And although I was going to share the, the prayer from the book of Common Prayer with you, we already had it on the screen, so what I'd like to do is just start out With prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for this moment. I thank you for calling your church to be ready, to be prepared for your coming, Lord. I pray that the words that I share today would be a blessing to all who are here. I pray that it would shape folks' hearts. I pray that they would be able to look inside and be ready for what you have in store for each and every one of them. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So be ready, church. Advent is about being ready. And as people shared last week their stories of Thanksgiving, I heard so many stories about people who had been waiting upon the Lord through this past year. It was amazing to me to hear the stories of pain and heartache, that people were waiting for things that they weren't necessarily looking forward to. And then others of you shared stories about things that you couldn't wait to have happen. We couldn't wait to be together again. We couldn't wait to share holidays and, and, and weddings and, and gatherings together. And it reminded me of the story of Simeon in the Gospel of Luke. At Jesus's incarnation, Luke describes Simeon as a faithful man, a righteous, devout man who is ready for the coming of the Lord. And in fact, he was given a divine promise that he would not pass away. He would not die until the coming of the Christ. And through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, Simeon is led to the temple And as he arrives at the temple, he encounters Mary and Joseph who are bringing Jesus, the baby Jesus, to be consecrated on his 40th day. Simeon is in the right place at the right time. He takes the baby Jesus up into his arms and he proclaims, praising God. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have been seen, have seen your salvation, that you prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And what is of particular interest is that Jesus' first visit to the temple is accompanied by his faithful servant Simeon. And the words out of Simeon's mouth are that he can now depart in peace. And it's funny, we don't have a lot of details about Simeon. But as you can see from the picture on the screen, he's depicted as an old man. That he's he's waited all this time in faithfulness. That day after day, perhaps he had been coming to the temple ready for the coming Messiah. And it wasn't until the very end, perhaps, of his life that the baby Jesus arrives. And Simeon breathes that that sigh of relief that I am ready to depart. And God chooses to reward his servant's faithfulness with a revelation that Christ, the Savior of all, had finally come. But guess what? We're not good at waiting. I don't see myself as a simian. In our culture, we live in a culture that's averse to waiting. We have fast food. We have the minute clinic. We have speedy oil changes. We have many things in our lives. We even have rocket mortgages, right? You don't even have to wait for the, for the mortgage decision to come, except in a matter of moments. Waiting is portrayed as a waste of time. It's unnecessary, painful, and something to be avoided at all costs. We have 5G mobile networks. We have cell phones. We wait in doctors' offices, and they promise less wait times. Even the Department of of Motor Vehicles promises that they're trying to speed up, right, and not have us wait so long. But guess what? There's something of value in waiting. There's something fundamentally beautiful and transforming in the tension generated by waiting. Now, the psychology professor and me couldn't help but, but slip in a slide that I would use in one of my classes. And it portrays this, this curve, right? The anticipation or enthusiasm curve. And what we see is that our anticipation, our enthusiasm, our arousal and energy actually increase the closer that we get to something that we anticipate. And it increases right up to the point until we actually encounter the thing that we've been waiting for. And unfortunately, in this life, in this material world, if you're anything like me, I grew up a kid in the 70s, and we couldn't wait for the Christmas season to uh, kick off. And you know what kicked off the Christmas season? The arrival of the Montgomery Ward Sears Roebuck Christmas catalog. And my sister and I would pour over the pages, and we would make our list time and time again of what we wanted for Christmas. Christmas. And the days, the weeks, even the months would pass by and the anticipation would build and build and build until finally Christmas morning came and we received our gifts. But how long does it actually take us to habituate to those things in our lives, right? That those earthly possessions soon lose their sense of joy. And it's of little surprise to me, looking back now in my life, that it was actually the wait, it was actually the anticipation that actually brought me the greatest joy. Sadly, not all things in our material lives are actually things that we can't wait to have happen. Some of us are actually waiting for things that are unfortunate that are tragic too many of us must face saying goodbye to a loved one we face receiving bad news and in fact back in 2009 my great uncle red who was a world war ii veteran we learned was diagnosed with terminal bone cancer In the next days and weeks and months that we had with him, the family gathered around him week after week. And he would share these unbelievable stories about what it was like to train as a pilot, a bomber pilot in World War II. And he talked about the preparation that he was undergoing for the final assault on Japan before they had dropped the atomic bombs. That if they had not moved forward with the atomic bombs, he would have been in that wave of bombers that would have swept into Japan to try to end the war. He talked about simple things like meeting my great aunt at Pine Street Baptist Church. And he talked about his relationship with the Lord. And as the family waited to say goodbye to him, as the sands and the hourglass continued to drip through. He requested to hear over and over again hymns praising God. And as the morphine tried to dull his pain, the songs of praise were on his lips as he went to be with the Lord. So in that moment of waiting, waiting, It was great richness. Even in the sadness, waiting had a purpose. Of course, not all things in life that we wait for are sad. Some things are wonderful. And perhaps one of the most iconic images of waiting is the marriage ceremony, right? That a couple gets engaged And they wait days and weeks and months, and some couples even wait years, and they're planning and planning their wedding. And it leads all up until this moment. And the bridal procession is the culmination of that moment. We see the bride as she walks down the aisle, and everybody's waiting on her. And as the music starts to key in, we hear here comes the bride and all everyone in the audience turns and looks and it is in that moment of waiting and anticipation that the beauty of the bride actually reaches its culmination it's the most beautiful moment as a local church we're in a season of waiting we await the sale of our building We then wait for what comes next. Where will we go? Where will we live as a church body? What type of worship space will we have? What change will our physical location have on our culture, on our worship environment? We await the retirement of Mark. We await Kirsten and Brian to transition to full-time ministry. And yet, although these changes... Are things that we wait for, they are happening. The changes are happening. There's much to be done in the waiting. Our elders are doing their due diligence and working through the sale. Brian and Kirsten have already been leading for months. And Mark has continued to teach and lead groups and even supervise and mentor pastoral interns in the waiting. And yet, waiting for these changes are only a prelude to what we wait for as the larger church. We wait for Christ to return. So what can we learn in this season of Advent about waiting faithfully as followers of Christ, as the church? What has Jesus said about how we are to wait for his return? Maybe. We're waiting. Yes, we're waiting for the next slide. As you can see, I love imagery. Jesus offers a view of his return and how we are to wait in the Mount of Olives discourse, serving almost as a bookend to the description of Simeon encountering Jesus in his first visit to the temple. Matthew, in his gospel, depicts Jesus's last visit to the temple. And as he's leaving the temple complex, his disciples inquire of him about the temple buildings. And in response, he proclaims, you see all these things, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As Jesus ascends to the Mount of Olives... He gives this rich tapestry, this rich illustration of apocalyptic illustrations and warnings about the things to come. We are told about wars and rumors of wars. We're told about famines and natural disasters. But all these things will nearly only be the beginning. Followers of Jesus will be hated. Love will grow cold and many will fall away from the faith. The ominously dire predictions continue. He talks about the abomination of desolation and the great tribulation that will be endured. And during these times, we are told that there will be false Christs and false prophets who perform great signs and wonders to lead the elect away. But Jesus warns his followers, do not believe these individuals. All will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Glory. So despite Jesus' asserting that his coming will be writ large for all to see, he follows by offering one of the most astounding revelations in all of Scripture. In Matthew twenty-four thirty-six, our verse for today, Jesus proclaims, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, and not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. This statement by Jesus is profound in that it reveals we cannot predict his return. We cannot prepare ourselves for the exact moment that he will come. Further still, it brings to light Jesus' own faithful obedience to the Father in finishing his earthly ministry. As described by the Apostle Paul, Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Concerning the day and hour of his return, Jesus laid aside his omniscience in unison with the will of the Father for a greater purpose. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus goes on to emphasize the unforeseeable nature of his return in comparing it to the days of Noah. So in his discussion, he's going to give us a description of those who are prepared and those who are unprepared. Those who are ready and those who are not ready for Christ's return. He describes in the days of Noah, life was simply being lived as people were caught by surprise, doing what they had always been doing, working, eating and marrying. And it was only Noah and his family who were faithful that the Lord ended up saving. Further still, Jesus compares the unexpectedness of his coming to the stealth of a thief whose strategy is to catch the homeowner unawares. This is an analogy that the Apostles Paul and Peter, and even in the book of Revelation, end up being proclaimed later on. And it is here that Jesus begins to distinguish the two groups that he encountered. But Jesus' warning is for us to be faithfully ready and preparing for his return. So he offers these parables. And many of these parables we are very familiar with, right? The parable of the good and the wicked servant. So even so, we don't know the day and hour or how we can be ready for Christ's return. So Jesus gives us these parables, for what it means to be ready. In the parable of the faithful and wicked servants, Jesus describes being ready as faithfully carrying out what the master has asked, even in his absence. The opposite of which is depicted by the servant who is evil or wicked. And he begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with the drunkards in the absence of the master. Such behaviors are explicitly warned against by Paul in his letter to the Romans, where he says, So then let us cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light, let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies and in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and in jealousy. For the result of such lack of faithfulness will result in judgment and separation. Being ready is to live in faithful obedience to what Jesus has commanded. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. To love each other. And to make disciples. Yet he continues on and offers us a second parable. The parable of the virgins. Here we cannot escape the parallel to the church as the bride of Christ. In his letters to the churches in Corinth and Ephesus, Paul also uses the language of marital preparation and exhorting believers to be pure, holy, and blameless by living faithfully for Christ. According to the parable, five of the ten virgins were ready because they prepared their resources, the resources that were available to them knowing that the bridegroom would come. The five virgins who were foolish did not prepare the resources that were available to them. So when the time when the bridegroom was coming, they were caught unprepared. And during their absence, as they went to get oil for their lamps, the chilling words of the bridegroom's response echoes as they come to the door of the wedding banquet pounding on it. And Jesus says that the bridegroom responds by saying, I assure you, I do not know you. This conveys the deeper truth, connecting their readiness to the reality of their relationship with the bridegroom. Being ready reflects knowing and being known by Jesus. Further still, in the third parable, Jesus presses home the need for readiness. We hear about the master who goes away and in his absence, he leaves his servants with his money, his wealth. Each servant receives a different amount based on the master's judgment and each one's ability. One being given five talents, the other two, and finally the last one. The servants given the most double the amounts that they had been given. The servant who was only given one goes and buries his talent in the ground. And when the master returns, the servants who had been given many return the double portion to their master. And their master is well pleased receiving them. Meanwhile, the servant who was afraid states, Master, I know you to be a difficult man. You reap where you do not sow. You gather where you do not scatter. And the master says to him, You wicked servant, if you knew me, you would have taken what I had given you and at least put it in the bank so I could get back what was mine and the return of interest. The separation of those who use gifts, the gifts that they have been given to increase their master's wealth from, simply the, from those who simply sit on it is sobering. There is an expectation to be truly ready. We have to use what the Lord has given us to expand His kingdom each of us is entrusted with gifts to steward and to return an expected proportion. Jesus concludes his discourse by leaving the parables behind and talking about the two groups again. And in concluding this illustration, he talks about the great day of judgment when the nations will come before him as he sits on the heavenly throne. And as the good shepherd, Jesus knows his sheep. And he separates them from the goats, welcoming them into his presence. He then describes why they have inherited the kingdom, stating that they were ready and issued a response congruent with Jesus' teaching To love God, love your neighbor as yourself, and love one another. The king then issues his judgment upon the goat, saying, Depart from me, cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And in issuing this edict, Jesus provides the reasons as to why they are being cast out. They are not ready to respond in obedience with the gospel. They have failed to be faithful in waiting. They failed to be alert and ready as portrayed in the various parables. So as a church, this Advent, we are in a season of waiting. Jesus has taught us that faithfully waiting means to be ready. It is an active state of doing the work that he has called us to do, no matter the circumstances. It means we do not stop being the church because we are waiting for our building to sell. It means we do not stop loving the Lord with all our hearts, all our mind, and all our strength. To be ready means to make disciples, teaching them to obey all that we have been taught. And it means loving one another and not beating each other up or walking in the darkness. To be ready means stewarding our resources to serve the kingdom's purposes and not our own. Being ready means faithfully using the gifts that we have been given for the cause of Christ, knowing our gifts are his and not our own. To be ready means to be faithful to the end. Not knowing when the end will come, knowing only that he who is faithful will indeed come as promised and that our faithfulness is only a mere shadow of his own. And so as the church, we await for the return of Jesus and the consummation of the kingdom. In his great wisdom and design, we return to the wedding motif and all the joyous anticipation that is pregnant in the waiting In his second coming, it will be celebrated at the marriage supper of the Lamb as depicted in the book of Revelation, where it states, his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Jesus already loves you, beloved. But he chooses to adorn us in the righteous deeds of the saints, his faithful servants. The things that we do in his name are turned around for his glory are turned around and put upon us to make us even more beautiful. So be ready, church. Be faithful in your waiting. None of us are to know the day and hour of Jesus' return. We are told, He who comes will come at a time that we do not expect. And one writer puts it this way, When there is no more benefit in His tarrying, He will come. He is merciful in His waiting. There are people who, if Jesus came today, would be counted among the goats. They would be lost. But because Jesus waits, we have another tomorrow. And they have a chance to be counted amongst the sheep. Do what is right, as your Lord has asked. Our wait is not about when the end will come, but rather who is coming. Be faithful in your waiting, church, for the one we wait upon is faithful. It was his faithfulness that brought him to this broken and rebellious world. It was his faithfulness that endured the wrath of God upon the cross in our place. And it will be his faithfulness that reunites us with him forevermore. Hear these words that the disciples heard when Jesus proclaimed to all his followers across the generations. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will do what? I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. Amen. May we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you that you are a loving God, that you are patient and merciful, that in your wisdom and grand design, Lord, you allow us to wait in anticipation for your return. Lord, I pray that each person here today who have heard your words, Lord, that they will prepare themselves by doing what you ask, And we ask this in the name of your Son, in the name of our Savior, who will return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.